So like Jill said, I'm Daniel. I'm a socialist activist with Workers' Liberty. I'm also a, a trade union activist and a member of the Labour Party, fairly recently reinstated. Um, tonight's meeting was called in anticipation of the publication of the EHRC report into anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, um, but with the specific intent of trying to look at the issue as a kind of political phenomenon in at least uh, partially what, what might be called kind of theoretical terms, rather than by autopsying or relitigating any of the various scandals and furories that have taken place over the last five years. Um, I hope that's not going to be a disappointment to anyone. Uh, Workers' Liberty and our predecessor organisations have had an analysis of something that we and others have called left anti-Semitism for something over 30 years. And what I plan to do over the next kind of 20 to 25 minutes is set out in summary form what that analysis consists of, um, after which I think Steve is going to speak about some of his experiences navigating and confronting these issues uh, as a Jewish person in the Labour Party and, and as a socialist and Labour Party activist in the Jewish community. Um, my usual starting point when I give versions of this talk is to say that left anti-Semitism exists, that, that, that it's a real thing, uh, that it's not a smear or a fabrication, nor merely a spillover from bigotry in wider society. Uh, I think to understand left anti-Semitism, we, we have to understand it as a distinct phenomenon with its own particular developmental history and ideological function. Um, I should say kind of at the outset that um, I'm aware that and, and in some ways, I hope that not everyone in the meeting will agree with that view. Um, you may kind of dissent from it in all sorts of different directions. You may not accept that left anti-Semitism exists or not agree that it consists of the things I'm about to argue that it consists of. And that's fine. Um, Workers' Liberty welcomes debate and dissent at our meetings, as long as it remains civil. Um, if you are coming to this meeting as someone sceptical about left anti-Semitism as a concept, I'd simply ask that you give a hearing to and engage seriously with the argument I'm about to advance. Um, so left anti-Semitism is a phenomenon that developed, in my view, from uh, two principal strands, which now overlap and intertwine. Uh, one, what we might call the primitive form of left anti-Semitism, is what's been called the socialism of fools, um, originating in the 19th century, and it's a politics that kind of rails against Jewish bankers and financiers and conflates Jews with capital and finance, and that kind of particular conflation of Jews with finance has, has its own kind of historical and ideological provenance. Um, the second, more contemporary strand of left anti-Semitism developed over the second half of the 20th century, manifesting in policies and perspectives towards Israel and Zionism, um, which argue that Israel is an almost uniquely reactionary and illegitimate state, and that Jewish nationalism, Zionism, is an almost uniquely reactionary and illegitimate form of nationalism. Um, it's useful, I think, to go back kind of to the beginning on this and, and ask how anti-Semitism first developed on the left specifically. And the answer, I think, lies in, in the quite specific character and ideological function of modern anti-Semitism. Um, unlike many other bigotries um, and, and forms of racism, which often establish just kind of simple dualistic supremacist hierarchies, um, anti-Semitism seeks to develop an explanatory worldview. It's a whole kind of narrative explanation for how the world is organized based on the notion that the world is controlled by a secret cabal of powerful Jews. Um, people in the meeting will probably have heard often um, the term anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, but in some ways that's kind of a tautology because 
um, most forms of anti-Semitism are conspiracy theories in and of themselves, sort of as such. Um, and crucially for understanding left anti-Semitism specifically, the anti-Semitic worldview presents itself as what some um, thinkers and writers have called counter-hegemonic, um, or in simpler terms, sort of opposed to the powers that be. It presents itself kind of as an ideology of resistance to the rulers of society. Um, the late Moishe Postone featured here in this slide, uh, for my money, probably the most articulate kind of analyzer and, and critic of left anti-Semitism, described it as a reactionary critique of capitalist modernity with a pseudo-emancipatory dimension. Um, it's therefore particularly and especially toxic for any movement seeking to develop a genuinely radical critique of capitalism and oppression and advance sincerely emancipatory rather than pseudo-emancipatory politics. So anti-Semitism has this kind of particular potential to miseducate, to mislead, to misdirect and toxify left-wing politics specifically. Um, it's an interesting kind of historical curio that the term anti-Semitism was first popularized not by a kind of right-winger, but by this guy, Wilhelm Marr, who was a uh, kind of revolutionary of the 1848 generation. And there's also an anti-Semitic element to the writing of several other prominent mid-19th century radicals, uh, famously including Proudhon, but, but also Bakunin and um, Stirner and, and others. Uh, all, all of these people thought of themselves as, and in many cases genuinely were in the context of their time, radicals and progressives. But they saw anti-Semitism as a perfectly compatible part of their left-wing worldview, um, in most cases precisely because of that trope of Jewish power and the conflation of Jews with capital. And that's a trend that um, in the late 19th century, supporters of Germany's Revolutionary Workers' Party, the SDP, were denouncing as the socialism of fools. Uh, and I think this shows us two very important things. Firstly, that there's a substantial historical precedent for anti-Semitic ideas being incorporated into a worldview that sees itself as left-wing. And secondly, that for as long as left anti-Semitism has existed, there has been analysis of and confrontation with it from within the left, um, which I think is important in terms of understanding how it can be uprooted. Since the 2008 financial crash, the resurgence of conspiracy theorist narratives fueled by the kind of particular way that ideas are transmitted and circulated around social media and very prevalent in movements like Occupy has given new life to these kind of primitive left anti-Semitic ideas in broadly left-wing spaces. And it's vital that the left draws a distinction between this kind of conspiracy theorist thinking and the class-based and rational opposition to capitalism that I believe the left should promote. Um, contemporary left anti-Semitism, however, has, I would argue, a different or at least additional set of ideological roots lying in a particular attitude towards Israel, the state of Israel, and to Jewish nationalism, Zionism, which sees Israel as the kind of quintessential expression of imperialism, which sees Zionism as wholly synonymous with imperialism, racism, and even fascism, and exerting an inflated, perhaps even controlling influence on world affairs, and which sees the conflict in the Middle East as resolvable only by the state of Israel being somehow done away with rather than reformed in some way, uh, however radical. To make my own view and the policy of Workers' Liberty, the organization hosting this meeting, on the substantive issue of Israel-Palestine very clear, because I think it's important and necessary to do that, the Israeli state's treatment of the Palestinians, including the Palestinian Arab minority within its own historic borders, is worthy of extreme criticism 
and opposition, all the more so uh, given the policy of the current Israeli government and the threat of annexation. The relationship between the Israeli state and the Palestinians is an essentially colonial one, and opposition to national oppression and support for the rights of all national communities to self-determination should, I believe, and Workers' Liberty believes, be fundamental principles for the left, uh, which necessarily implies full-throated support for the Palestinian people's right to freedom, independence, and self-determination. But the state of Israel is not in a special category in terms of being an oppressive power. Sadly, many states occupy and colonize other national groups. Many states oppress minorities, including national minorities, within their own borders. China, Turkey, Russia, Sri Lanka, Iran, Morocco, and many, many others. It is only for Israel, however, the world's only majority Jewish state, that much of the far left routinely implies that the solution is not to dismantle Israel's policies or even its system of government or even its constitutional basis, but its very existence. And I would emphasize the word implying here, as these ideas are often expressed by implication or by implied comparison with other states or other forms of nationalism. So, for instance, there's no habit in historic or contemporary leftist discourse of referring to Turkey as the Kemalist state um, when describing its oppression of the Kurds or to Sri Lanka as the Sinhalese nationalist entity when describing its oppression of the Tamils. So nothing equivalent, in other words, to the historic description of Israel as the Zionist entity or the Zionist state, which if you go back through the archives of a paper like Socialist Worker, the newspaper of the SWP, uh, you'll find it quite frequently used. You even sometimes find the Israeli Jewish national people as a whole being collectively referred to as the Zionists, um, which represents a sort of bizarre fusion of a national people with a nationalist ideology. Um, Israel is a Zionist state in roughly the same sense that Britain is a British nationalist state and France is a French nationalist state. Um, on the left, we rightly critique British and French nationalism, but if we're talking about the kind of British and French national communities, we just say Britain or France. Um, so there's uh, definitely a sort of implied disparity there. Sometimes the perspective that the problem is not just Israel's policy, but the very existence of Israeli Jewish national self-determination in any form is spelled out explicitly. And you'll find articles um, um, arguing that there can be no peace while the state of Israel continues to exist. So not while it continues its current policies, its policies of occupation, colonization and so on, and not even while it continues to exist in its current form, but simply while it continues to exist. Um, I should make clear here that I'm not suggesting by any means that it, it is necessarily anti-Semitic to imagine or hope for a future in which there's a kind of unitary constitutional settlement encompassing the whole territory of historic Palestine or beyond. All sorts of possible models have been advanced, a binational federation, a wider regional federation with autonomy for the distinct national groups and so on. Um, fundamentally, that's a debate to be settled by democratic accommodation amongst the people of the region. Um, we can discuss from a distance the possible plausibility and desirability of various models without trafficking in left anti-Semitism. Personally, I think democratic confederation and a unitary state are inconceivable uh, without an almost certainly quite prolonged transitional settlement based on two independent states. Others in the meeting may have different views. It's not anti-Semitic to discuss that. It's being discussed by Israeli and Palestinian leftists very vigorously all the time. Uh, but what is, I would argue, unavoidably, logically and necessarily anti-Semitic is the claim that the Israeli Jewish national community, 
which is undeniably a nation by any operable definition of the concept, should have no national rights at all. Um, if your starting point for assessing Israel-Palestine is that one of the two national communities currently inhabiting the territory should uniquely amongst all the nations of the world throughout the whole of history give up any claim to nationhood and self-determination, then I would contend that you are at the very least applying a peculiar double standard to the world's only majority Jewish national group, whose origins as a distinct national group are inextricably bound up with and largely a product of historic anti-Jewish oppression and attempted genocide. Um, to give you a kind of flavour of how this sort of anti-Semitic iteration of, of, of an approach to, to Zionism and, and to Israel-Palestine, um, what, what we in Workers' Liberty have sometimes called an absolute anti-Zionism, um, has manifested on the far left. We can look to episodes such as the one in 1983, when the Workers' Revolutionary Party, which was then a very prominent, uh, influential element on the far left, with quite significant institutional resources, claimed to expose what it called a Zionist connection, running through 10 Downing Street, the White House, the BBC, and Socialist Organiser, which was another socialist group which had criticised the WRP over these issues, and which is the, the predecessor organisation of Workers' Liberty. You can see the image on, on the bottom right of this slide, which is from the WRP's daily newspaper newsline. Um, although these arguments are often presented less explicitly and sometimes less shrilly today, these kind of conspiracy theorist attitudes to Zionism and Israel and the power of the Israeli state, which deny the legitimacy not merely of Israeli policy or, or a particular system of government, but of the entire Israeli Jewish national group, are still evident across sections of the far left. Um, so that's what the what I've called the kind of contemporary strand of, of left anti-Semitism consists of. Um, I want to talk a little bit now about where it comes from. I think these arguments are fairly simply and straightforwardly an inheritance from Stalinism, even though many of their contemporary adherents would see themselves as anti-Stalinists. Um, although the USSR actually armed via its uh, Czech satellite the fledgling Israeli state in the 1948 war, Stalinism made a very sharp anti-Zionist turn quite shortly after that. Um, in the so-called doctor's plot of 1951, a group of mainly Jewish doctors were publicly accused of being involved in a Zionist plot to assassinate Stalin. Uh, the following year saw the Slansky trial in which a prominent Jewish leader of the Czech Communist Party was accused of Zionism and subsequently tried and executed. Uh, these two episodes kind of mark the beginning of what went on to be a decades-long period of industrial-scale production of anti-Semitic propaganda in the Stalinist states, usually taking the form of invective against Zionism via literally tens of thousands of newspaper articles, books, cartoons, and other forms of literature. Um, I'm going to quote one paragraph from just one of those books now. Um, so here it is. Uh, the capitalists of England, the USA, France, Germany, and other countries, amongst the millionaires and multimillionaires of Jewish origin who had their eyes on the wealth of the Near East, helped the creation of the Zionist idea. From the very outset, it was linked with the project of the establishment in Palestine of a Jewish state as a Jewish fortress, a barrier against Asia. And that quotes from a book called The Collapse of Zionist Theories, uh, first published in English in 1980. And we see some common motifs here. So we've got the idea of Zionism as exclusively a project of capitalist colonial expansion and the creation of Israel as a racist project driven by millionaires. Um, and that discourse is still with us. Th this narrative, which falls back on many of the same conspiracy theorist ideas that we see in primitive left anti-Semitism, 
is still prevalent in the kind of soil of uh, far left thought and discourse, even in sections of the far left which have anti-Stalinist origins, but which accommodated to Stalinist ideology due to the historic dominance of official communist parties over much left-wing space. Um, okay, so that's the sort of historical background. But w- what is it that makes these attitudes to Israel and Zionism anti-Semitic specifically? Now, one might accept that this is kind of bad politics, or even that um, they have it has kind of anti-Semitic origins in the Stalinist conspiracy theories of the 50s and, and so on, but see their contemporary echoes as just expressing a kind of over-exuberant or disproportionate criticism of Israel rather than being anti-Semitic as such. And I think the answer to that has to lie in an understanding of the kind of actual history and characteristics of Jewish experience. Um, The experiences of persecution and genocide, which turned Zionism from a frustrated minority current into a mass movement, are harsh realities Uh, They are not virtual facts, they happened, and they continue to resonate in Jewish identity. And Jewish identity, like any ethnic, cultural or national identity, is complex and sometimes contradictory. Um, Some level of identification and affinity with Israel, seen as in Isaac Deutsch's useful phrase that I've put up on the slide here, uh, as the life raft state for post-Holocaust Jewish refugees, makes up an aspect of that identity for for many, or in fact, most Jews today. Um, And that affinity is not limited to Ashkenazi Jews of of Central and Eastern European background like myself. Um, Arab background Jews also experienced significant persecution and expulsion from their home states in and around the time of the establishment of the State of Israel, um, most finding refuge in Israel itself. Um, Academic research from 2015 Uh, found that 93% of British Jews feel that Israel forms some part of their identity. 90% support its continued existence as a Jewish state. But 71% also support the establishment of an independent Palestinian state alongside Israel, and 75% say that the West Bank settlements, you know, the, the kind of primary infrastructure of the Israeli colonial policy towards Palestine, are a major obstacle to peace. The Stalinist form of conspiracy theorist anti-Zionism cannot begin to engage with the complexities of these identities and political views. They necessarily imply hostility uh, to 93% of Jews in Britain and probably a similar proportion of Jews around the world, and not merely to their kind of political beliefs, but to the very fabric of what for them comprises their Jewish identity. Um, All of this is why statements like it's not anti-Semitic to oppose Zionism or it's not anti-Semitic to criticise Israel, often obscure more than they clarify. Of course, it's not anti-Semitic to oppose Zionism or to criticise Israel, but some criticisms of Israel and Zionism can be anti-Semitic. And I've tried to set out in this slide um, some of the potential kind of content of that. Now, none of this is to suggest that that any degree of support or, or any type of support for Israel must simply be kind of excused and accepted as an inevitable product of Jewish historical experience or treated as a fixed aspect of Jewish identity, which I sincerely believe it it isn't and and shouldn't be. Um, And and that's particularly true against the contemporary backdrop of the especially brutal form of national chauvinism currently dominant in Israeli politics. But any rigorous analysis, I I, I would say materialist analysis of the history of Zionism must understand its historical dynamics within the context of Jewish consciousness and experience whilst opposing national oppression and supporting the equal rights of both peoples, Israeli Jews and Palestinian Arabs, 
to self-determination. And if I'll kind of truncate this for time now, but if we have more time in the discussion, I might go into some more detail into the, the, the quite interesting history of um, the way Zionism was kind of engaged with and critiqued by the left historically, which is certainly much more nuanced, I think, and, and, and valuable than uh, a lot of the critiques and confrontations we find today. So, okay, broadly, um, that's an analysis of the problem. Um, uh, I hope that was thought-provoking at the very least. Uh, I'm going to move on now to talk about how I think we can fix it. Um, in the debate around this issue in the Labour Party, many of the proposed solutions, uh, such as tighter disciplinary measures, more expulsions, and so on, seek what are essentially technical bureaucratic fixes for what is fundamentally a problem of political ideas. Um, a culture of knee-jerk expulsion for anyone who circulates a left anti-Semitic meme or who makes a left anti-Semitic remark in a meeting or on social media will make the problem worse, not better. Um, although it may strike many of us as unseemly to insist that anti-Semitism be a matter for debate, unfortunately it is only by confronting the ideas that underpin left anti-Semitism in open debate within the Labour Party and on, and on the wider left that it can be uprooted. What is required is not more expulsions, but more debate, discussion and education, effectively a political educational campaign to confront these ideas. And in this slide, I suggest some of the potential contents of, of that kind of campaign. Um, the ultimate aim, I suggest, should be to overturn and replace the political common sense that the left inherits from Stalinism, which I hope I've given a kind of convincing analysis and explanation of tonight. Um, with a different one. And I think after I'm done, Steve's going to talk in, in more detail about his personal experiences of confronting left anti-Semitism within Labour Party spaces uh, and the efforts he's been involved in to develop this kind of political educational work um, on these issues. I think we have to replace the, the common sense inherited from Stalinism with an entirely different one based on a reassertion of what should be foundational concepts in any left-wing perspective. Consistent democracy, an assertion of the equal rights of all peoples and national groups and rational analyses of history and contemporary society that reject conspiracy theories. Uh, until we're able to do that, the socialist project will not ultimately be able to succeed and moreover, uh, it won't deserve to. Thanks for listening. That's the end of my talk. If you want to keep in touch um, with me, that's how you can do it. Uh, the URL given there is a kind of one-stop shop for all of uh, Workers' Liberties resources on this topic. And there's a specific kind of suggested reading list, which is attached to my talk as well, which if you drop me your email in the chat, I can send to you. So yeah, thanks very much. That's it from me.